Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Saliha Idris Bamji and you are listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Accidental Muslims yet again. I've been stuck in traffic for one of hours to meet this lady. <laughs> so I'm finally here and thank you for inviting me to your home. Jazakallah for coming and for braving Joburg traffic. Yeah, that was really hectic. So who is Saliha? Well, I have this little bio and what do I say? I say I'm a writer, uh, a photographer, um, an idea girl. And when I say idea girl, people are like, what is an idea girl? And I think that kind of is like saying I'm a jill of all trades. Like I do a lot of different things. I stalked you on Instagram and I know you through your husband, Naeem. Mm. And Naeem was, he is still one of my mentors. He doesn't know that because he taught me WordPress online for oh, like, wow, yeah? like many okay. years. And um, so, yeah, I just have to mention that. I looked at your Instagram profile and you said idea girl. What, what kind of ideas do you generate? Well, if I look, if I think back on the kinds of stuff I do, like apart from the writing and the photography, I, I blog as well. So I'm a food blogger. I sometimes blog uh, craft projects. Like I like creating stuff with my hands. Um, I'm not really an artisan or anything like that, but, but I love paper and being able to take an idea for something and, and making it something tangible. Uh, so for me, I think that's where the idea comes in. It's from that... That making, you know, this whole making movement is very big now, like being a maker, being a creator. So so for me, the idea goal is like kind of linked to that. So for instance, there'll be something like where I needed uh, packaging for my USBs, uh, USB sticks. So I thought, how would I do this? And then I kind of created like my own packaging thing where I had, an, uh, I had like sort of an idea in my head. And then I went to the computer and did like a little uh, packaging net for it. And I printed that out and... I cut it up and I made a box. So okay. I think it's like, yeah, so I, I have the ideas yes. and, I, and I try and make the ideas happen. So I think that's where the idea girl thing comes in. Awesome. Did you always know that you're going to be a, you know, a writer slash blogger slash photographer in school? In school, you know, when you're in school, uh, you know, the first thing, I wanted to be a CEO at some point. I don't know of what, but I think I used to watch, I used to watch a lot of TV and like, you know, those conglomerations and corporates always look like an amazing, like, very fascinating place. I had no idea what was involved in getting to the top. You know, I used to read a lot of like Richie Rich and stuff. I thought I could be like Mr. Rich. I don't know. That never really happened. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe one day. But uh, when I was in school, uh, I, I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be an inventor. I think I wanted to be a florist at one point, uh-huh. but uh, the one thing, writing has always kind of been a constant for me in the sense that I've always been a reader. I started reading at a very young age. I loved reading a total bookworm. Uh, I'd be the type who'd be like reading at the kitchen table, reading a book while I'm watching TV, that kind of thing. Uh, when I was in standard one, we'd had to write um we just read Roald Dahl, and I think for a lot, of, a lot of writers, Roald Dahl sometimes tends to be like, you know, that, that first writer that's like a great influence. And I remember we read Roald Dahl, and the teacher asked us to write a short story based on a line from one of his books. And I wrote something, and she was quite impressed with it, and she said, oh, no, you're so good at this. And I thought, hey, 
I could also be a writer, you know, um, Zumi and Senderwine. So I had no idea of, of what this meant, but I would always write like little poems, little stories, things like that. But I knew that writing could never be, at the time I knew it's, it's not like lucrative generally. There had to be something else that I needed to do. So I tried to find things that would kind of feed into, into writing. So I studied marketing communication, which is... Um, marketing and advertising. And the reason why I did that was because I wanted to be a copywriter. I wanted to write ads. But then at the end of my third year, I wasn't like totally convinced. Like I felt like I needed to do a job that's like more fulfilling or something that was more than trying to convince people to buy a specific brand of washing powder or something. And um, through a friend of mine, I discovered that Wits had a journalism honors program where you could have come from any undergrad and, and done this honors. But okay, great, you know. I could be a journalist, I'll be writing, I'll be meeting people, telling their stories. So I had all those, you know, very romantic ideas of what it meant to be a journalist. Um, so I did journalism, I worked as a journalist for a few years. I joined like a, a media training agency where I got to then do stuff like design, uh, a lot of like client management where we worked with corporations trying to do their editorials and things like that. And at the end of it all, I was like, okay, I've done all of this and but I'm still not writing the stuff I want to write. I'm writing for work or I'm writing on the side. And then I started a blog because I thought if I started a blog and I put it out there, it makes me accountable and people will be like, why aren't you writing? And then I'll have to write for the blog. So that was the, the plan. Um, and then I started freelancing because the plan was if I'm freelancing, then I have all the time in the world to write a book. But it doesn't always work out like that because you have all the time in the world, but you also then have all the excuses in the world to do everything else other than the, exactly. book, the book, you know. Um, so it was only about four years ago that I did a master's in creative writing. And that for me was like, oh, I'm being serious about my writing because I'm actually going for this thing where at the end of it, I have to produce some kind of work, it could either be a novel or a collection of poems or something. And I ended up doing poetry. I've always written poetry, but you know, like when you're a teenager and you write poetry, it's because you like depressed because the guy you love hates mm. you or he doesn't even know you're alive. And so all your poems about stuff like that. And you don't really share it with anyone because it's really bad and you know, that kind of thing. But then I started writing about um, like more, more than that teenage angsty stuff. It was maybe about things that mattered deeply to me or things that had happened happen to other people or societal issues, you know, things that I needed to figure out for myself. And that, that kind of came into my poetry as well. So, yeah, so I think the writing has been a constant for me, even mm. though I've like been thinking I wanted to be into being advertising and then doing journalism and now, now photography, you know? So for me, the storytelling, I think is the, the common thing yeah. for all of those things. Why, why food photography? Food, I think food's always like, I feel, Fine, it's like easy to photograph food, um, but also food photography because I, I started food blogging. Okay. So that was like a, a, a like a natural extension of the food blogging because obviously now you try a great recipe, you want to share it with everybody and be like, oh look at this cool thing I made. So um, it was available to me. I think that's why that's why I started off doing food. Okay, and then if you had to choose between photography, writing, and yeah, if you had to choose between the two. <laughs> would, what would you oh choose? it's such a terrible thing to like that's like telling a mother to choose between her children yeah. like who would you save you know they no I can't I can't yeah. choose the, the thing I can tell you though is photography is easier because it's 
instant gratification in the sense that I, 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 have an, I have an idea of what it is I want to photograph and how I want the light to fall or the story I want to tell. And I can achieve that and then sit with it at the computer and then share it. And that process could take me anything from like 15 minutes to an hour or like half an afternoon or something. Uh, last year, I did a Project 365 where I was taking a picture every single day for the entire year. Um, I, I pretty much did that. There were only like maybe three or four instances where I took an old photograph, but I reprocessed it on the day because that was the only mm. kind of like leeway I gave myself. So photography is easier in that sense that uh, it, it can happen like that. But writing, I think, is like, if I can call it like soul work, it's harder for me because I think I'm, a, I'm like an overthinker when it comes to writing. It takes, I can sit with a sentence for like an hour and I can, I can like say, quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. No, lazy is the wrong word, then delete. What other, what can I say? Am I even talking about a fox and why is it quick? And then I, I like, oh, oh. you know, so that's why my writing can be painfully, painfully slow. Um, but but when I produce something that I'm proud of, it's like amazing. Uh, like sometimes I read all the stuff that I've written and I'll be like, no, I don't think I wrote that because how could I have written that? <laughs> sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a bad way, you know. Um, I don't ever want to say that I'll never stop writing because I think if I say that, it's, it's like I'm going to be cutting off like fingers mm -hmm. or something, you know. It's so vital because for so long it's been a part of my identity as well. Uh, like writing came before the photography. Um, but I like to think that what what I value about writing and about storytelling that sometimes informs my photography because when I'm shooting like an event or weddings, I'm like looking for moments, I'm looking for story, you know. Mm. So I can't really choose. Don't okay. make me choose. No, no, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> what has been your most exciting gig as a photographer as a, the most exciting well i can tell you the most rewarding has has been shooting a recipe book okay. and uh, that was for uh, auntie juleka gama from roshni and what was amazing about this project is because it was so close to her heart for so many years and she's i think she's about 70 years old now if i'm not mistaken but she's been wanting to do a recipe book for about like 10 years or something and she's been collecting the recipes and rewriting and all of that stuff over all that time and then last year or the year before, she made contact with um, a marketing company in uh, in Vereniging called Lilac Design. And I knew Lilac Design through some other work I'd done. And uh, they were going to handle like the layout of her book and the marketing of it. And they brought me on board. And yeah, so it was amazing to have been part of her, uh, to to have been part of this team that, that brought her dream to life, basically, mm -hmm. you know from this 10-year-old idea into like a, like into a printed thing. And to then know that people are looking through the recipe book, they're looking at the pictures, they're like, oh, that looks lacquer, I'm going to make that. Mm -hmm. And knowing that it was a picture you took that like kind of convinced them to make something from it. And knowing that they're now, you know, feeding their families with those recipes or, you know, impressing people with those recipes. So I think for me, yeah, that's been like the most rewarding. And, and, and I love covering weddings and stuff like that because it's families coming together. You know, it's like deep emotional mm, moments. Mm, mm. And I love that. Like you suddenly part of this family for this brief moment in time. It's, it's like an amazing feeling. So, that's yeah. cool. Thank, thanks for sharing that. So you're effectively a freelancer. Yes, yes. 
So it's very easy to, for you to balance your time and you can chill today. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm lucky in that in that sense. Um, but but you know what the drawback is? Like freelancers don't really quit. Like um, like today, like I had a lot of things hanging over my head, but I'm like, no, I'm going to binge watch some TV because I just need that <laughs> just for today. So you'll find yourself wa- like working till midnight or waking up really early because, you know, oh, shucks, you promised someone something at 8 a.m. and they need to get it. Um, but if I'm smarter about time management and more realistic and, and more adult about it, uh, freelancing is the best way to, to manage that balance, you know, because, you know, you, you work when you're at your best and then, you know, OK, stop. I, I can go and run errands now or something. Yeah. Okay, so you have to really be good with time. Yeah, it's, it's easy to just kind of um, not not have it together. So you need that discipline. It's very mm. important. How do you describe yourself in three words? So I was thinking about these three words, hey. Um, I'm curious, definitely. I'm adaptable. And I'm resilient. Okay. And when I say adaptable and stuff, I can see that through like sort of like my career path where I've gone. In that, like, I find it easy to take on new things or learn new things. And, and I'm not afraid to take chances. So I think, and I think as a freelancer, you, you have to be like yeah. that. You cannot be stuck in your ways. You have to be, like now I'm thinking, maybe I should learn video because that seems to be like the next thing, you know. What advice would you give to a youth, you know, grade 10, 11, 12, that wants to pursue, you know, photography? It's just a matter of, you know, as you said, you're very, you're very curious. Mm. It's just about, you know, exploring and yeah, following yeah. your curiosity you know, grab a camera mm-hmm. as soon as possible and effectively, you know, do maybe a photography course or, or mm. I mean, so what advice would you give someone? Well, I wish that when, when I was in high school, someone had told me, hey, you could do photography for a living. We had like no idea. Mm. Like we only mm. knew about, like we'd have these career expos. So it was at a career expo that I found out about this thing called copywriting. Like I didn't mm. know, oh, there's someone whose job it is to like write the little tagline and come mm. up with a thing. Um, but funny enough, there were no photography schools and I, I would have thought that maybe if I'd seen it there, then maybe I would have been mm. interested. Um, and I think the youth of today are so lucky in the sense that all these opportunities are out there and available and perhaps there's not that much of pressure on them now to do the doctor, engineer, lawyer route as before, because now maybe parents can see, you know, okay, they can actually make a living out of it. So I would say if, if, they, if they're interested in image making, which I think a lot of young people are, I mean, if you look at Instagram, yeah. um, a lot of them aren't only doing the selfie thing. A lot of them are like, you know, picking up cameras and stuff. I would say enroll in a good college because there are, I mean, okay, there are like some that are but like fly by night and stuff, but you do a bit of research beforehand. But there are some really good uh, photographic schools. And I kind of wish that I'd had... Um, like, like my journey has been kind of like just learning as I'm going along. But I think if I had gone to like a college and did like a diploma or degree, I could have like consolidated all that learning in like three years. Mm-hmm. And then I could, have, you know, and then I would have had all that knowledge and not been so uncertain in the beginning. Because I did go through a lot of uncertainty. Because, you know, you always when you, uh, what, what did they call it? That imposter complex, imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome especially when you're someone who's like self-taught. You always hold back a bit because you think, oh, I'm not that, I'm not a pro, you know, I'm not mm. good enough because I don't have... But kids these days, I mean, they're so confident. They could, I mean, I, I would suggest they, if they're really interested in photography, yeah, enroll in like a good college and never stop learning, never get cocky, just... Cool. And be passionate, I think, you know, passion yeah. is everything. Mm. It is, really is, yeah. 
So I take photos with my phone, mm-hmm. and some of my family members say, "Wow, you got a good phone!" phone. Yeah, yeah. And I get very irritated and saying, "Yes, it's not the yes. phone. It's, it's actually a, the person a, holding that's the so phone." That's so true. That does it affect you? Also? You know, I actually had a friend, but I don't think she. People don't mean it though. They don't okay. think. I mean, they don't think anything of it. Like um, a friend of mine years ago, I think I'd taken a picture of something, and she told me, "Wow, you've got like such a good camera." And I was like, yeah, it's a good camera, but you know, you need to kind of know what the settings are to achieve the photo. And then she, I think then she kind of got it that I was a bit annoyed. It's like, you know? it's like telling Hashim Amla, you got a great bat. Yeah, like the bat is everything. That's yeah, amazing. Because I've had people like uh, when I was doing that photo a day, like a lot of people ask me, oh, like what camera do you use? I'm like, no, I use this Canon 600D. And like, oh, but we have the same camera. I'm like, okay. But like, you know, it's also the lens that you use. It's like a lot of people when they start out in, in photography, they don't realize that the lens you choose has like a huge impact on the photo, you know? So I'm like, oh no, it's the lens. And then I use Lightroom to process. And you know, I do, I do like, I, I like have to like put a little explanation of, of what mm, goes into mm. making an image. What I loved about your, your Instagram feed was that self-portrait photos. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So I tried to do it on my wife, Aziza. Like, <laughs> take the phone and pull right into her face. <laughs> But obviously it didn't come out uh, like yours. So what's the secret? So so self-portraiture, if you... Okay, it's easy with a phone because, I mean, you know, selfies aren't that hard to do and especially if you've got like a selfie stick. But when you're doing them with like a DSL camera, you need um, either like a, a... You either set the camera on a timer and then you, you like quickly go in front of the camera and, and like wait for the right moment or you use like a remote trigger, which is what I do, right? So... Um, I'll put the camera on a tripod. I'll have the one, uh, I'll have like the thing on the, the the trigger on the camera and I'll have a receiver in my, oh, it's the other way around. The receiver will be on the camera and I'll have the trigger in my hand. Then I'll set up the light, like the flash to go off when I want it. And then I kind of have to pre-focus. So sometimes I'll use autofocus on the camera, but that's not always great because the, um, the most important part of a portrait is to make sure that the eyes are in focus. Okay. It doesn't matter if the nose is blurry. In fact, it's even better if the nose is blurry, you know, generally. You'll notice when you see a portrait of a person, uh, the first thing you look at is the eyes. And if the eyes are, are not in focus, it's it's a failure mm. as a portrait. So um, my whole thing was to always get the eyes as sharp as I could. So sometimes if you have like an autofocus, it wouldn't actually nail the eyes because it would just kind of see what's the most contrasty part of your face. So then I would like put like a stick or something and like focus on the stick and then set the camera to manual so that it wouldn't change focus. And then I go sit like in my spot and, and like take the picture. But obviously the one picture you see in Instagram is the maybe is the best one. It's like one out of like a hundred I may have taken <laughs> on the day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now I know next time. Now you know, yeah. Practice. What is your definition of success? Hmm, sure, that's like a big question. Uh, Success is to have come to a point or or, or have done something that you know you've done all you can and that you're happy with the result and that what you've done has not only benefited you but has possibly benefited others somehow. Even though it may not be like a huge material benefit or just, or I think it's it's like that the work you put out there or whatever it is that you're putting out there 
there, there's some kind of resonance, you know, there's, there's some kind of positivity linked to it. Some and I think impact. Something, yeah. Even if it's like, uh, maybe it's like um, me saying, hey, enroll in a photo class and then like the next great photographer, you know, and then that was the start of someone's journey. So like little, I mean, hmm. we may not even know if you're being successes right now. We don't know. It's true. You know. Your Quranic verse. What is your favorite? <laughs> I know it's not, it's a very difficult question. But what is, what is your favorite Quranic verse or story? So I was, I was thinking about this question deeply because in your asking, it made me reflect on like Quran in my life. And in and, and the verse it made me think of was uh, Rabbi Zidni Ilma, which, which is my Lord, uh, increase my knowledge or, you know, expand my knowledge. And uh, when I first learned it as a child, they always told us like, recite Rabbi Zidni Ilma like a hundred times and, uh, you know, you pass your exams you pass, yeah. and, and all of that too. Um, and actually at the time, I didn't realize it was actually from Quran. Like I just thought, oh, it's like Rabbi Zidni Ilma, like you just like, you know, you know whatever. Hmm. Um, and then when I realized it was actually a Quranic verse, it's, it's actually a dua. Um, so it's, it's more than that. It's, it's also like, um, like, like it's increase my knowledge, meaning that, that knowledge is not static. It's you're always on a journey. Uh, you you are never complacent about what it is that you know. You can never know enough. And so so it's not only a du'a. It's also uh, it's like a prescription, I think. And I think that's that's what resonates with me. Mm, and you you live through that verse. I think so. Yeah, self, well, well, uh, yeah, because yeah. it's it's knowledge of self. Because you know you're always trying to figure out why it is that you do the things you do. Uh, knowledge of others. Uh, and and even if it's like uh, something as silly as. Uh, how do I take a picture of someone in the rain? Like I'll go in. You what know. are you most grateful for today? What am I most grateful for? Or oh, shame. Let me have like a, a sucky, mo- like a romantic moment mm. and say I'm most grateful for Naeem Ayat. Because he's sitting behind you. sitting in the next room. <laughs> no, Alhamdulillah. I have to say, like, I, I know you normally ask, like, who do you consider a mentor? And I know you mentioned Naeem as one of your mentors. Yes. And earlier I asked Naeem, who are your mentors? It's like, I don't have any mentors. <laughs> And then I realized, but you know, in a way, I mean, okay, he doesn't have mentors, but he doesn't know how many people see him as a mentor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, and he's going, ah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah but, okay, whatever. Yeah, you'll have a big head later. He, he mentored me through, on his Skype. Imagine that, eh? And right then, name? But it was weird because, you know, when we married, it's a bit of like, this is like the wonderful, wonderful thing about marriage, like when you with someone and you learn and you learn together and you grow together. It's like, I never thought like before, uh, before we were married that, like, wow, he would, like, kind of introduce me to photography because it was one of his old cameras were like, a hand-me-down that kind of got me started on my journey. But uh, why, why I'm grateful for him is because Naeem pushes me in a good way. If I didn't have someone at my back saying, when are you writing the book? Or you need to book more wedding jobs. Or you need to do this. Um, not in a pushy, bully sense, but in a way that makes me think, no, I can, there's a lot more I can achieve if only I kind of, you know, put my mind to it and, and not be so lazy. Because that's one of my, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally a lazy person. So I need to be with someone who can, you know, get me out of that. So I'm, I'm most grateful for, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. So yeah. one, of our, one of our mottos for accidental Muslims is, we want to inspire people to live with arate, which is like a Greek word for loving to your highest potential. Oh, wow, yeah. And I think that's what, what Naeem is, is trying to do that. Yeah. Isn't there like a Japanese, uh, it's called kaizen or something. Have you heard There's of that? There's a Japanese word called ikigai, which means your reason for getting up every morning. Oh, wow, yeah. that's a cool one. Ikigai. Ikigai, yeah. 
got words for everything. <laughs> you mentioned book. Do you have plans to write your own Yes, book? I do. Um, I have a story in mind that I started writing in like sort of a blog format. But I want to convert that in, into a, a bigger piece. So I do have a book in mind. Is it yeah. a, like a story? Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of like a coming of age story. Um, but I kind of want to deal with issues that we don't like. Okay, I know like generally like Muslim writers will write about like Muslim issues. And I think that's important because there's not enough of our stories being told. And, and there's always very specific narratives, uh, you know, about being Muslim in like a Western society and whatnot. So I wanted to write something more contemporary, like a family story. Like I like writing about relationships and uh, just how we communicate, how we live together, how we deal with, with tragedies and stuff like that. So it'll be like a, a family coming of age kind of story. So what are the timelines? Uh, how do you mean timeline to finish? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so um, the plan was that this would be the year of the book. Um, but so far, photography has like overtaken that. But uh, I am I am cutting back a bit, so I'm going to have some time for the book. I, I have like stuff in drafts, so I'm going to be optimistic and say by the end of this year I will have something usable. Do yeah. you have like a set routine or like a, you do you write in some you know isolated place where you, you draw inspiration from? No, you know uh, I know a lot of writers have like a little place in their house and stuff. I, I generally just come to the to the study. And, and sit at the computer and, and wait for something to happen. Mm. Um, but I always carry a notebook with me. So if I'm ever elsewhere and I have an idea for something, then I can, I can write it down. But no, I don't have like a set ritual, although it's, it's a very important thing to have. I, I, mean, I don't know who specifically said this, but there's some very famous writer. He said that he doesn't believe in writer's block. Yes. He yeah. said all he does is every morning at nine o'clock, he sits down and he writes. It could be Stephen King, maybe. I think so. Because he, he did a really good book called On Writing, where he talks okay. about things like, yeah. like you know, it's about showing up. Yeah, yeah. Just show you up. just show up. And, and it's, um, no, I get when he, what he means by that. Writer's block, for me, I know, is like a fear of failure. Like, so you're sitting there and you're like, oh, whatever I write is going to be absolute crap. So the best thing to do is actually to sit at the computer and to write sentences like, I write crap. I write la da 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 and then you just start like whatever brain vomit and then somehow through all of that nonsense you will you will start coming to to watch your stories I don't know if you've ever read a book called The Artist's Way Mm-mm. so it's also like a little like a primer on creativity and uh, the writer talks about how you must start each morning she calls them the morning pages so you take your notebook and you just start writing and your and your your pen mustn't leave the page for like I don't know, like half an hour or something wow. or less. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite sure on the mm. time limit. Mm. But the thing is just to write. So even if you're going, la, 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 oh, why am I doing this? And then mm. somehow, you know, something you, you just, something will come out. So it's like going through nonsense first. Mm. Yeah. So that could work. You, you write poems, but you also read your poems. Yes. I've started doing that kind of recently. It never used to be a, a, like, because I always felt like my stuff is more for, for reading. Because mm-hmm. you'll notice when you listen to spoken word stuff, it's like a very different, it's more rhythmic, it's more dramatic. And I thought my stuff is more like traditional, you know, stanzas on a page kind of thing. Um, I've only had a few poetry readings, I think from about last year to this year, where I've actually just started reading my stuff. So one of my, mm-hmm. and I'm not a poem guy. Okay. <laughs> but and this poem here, I like a lot, but I think it's very personal. Oh, which one is it? 
Oh, this one. Yeah, I write a lot about my dad. Do you want me to read it out? Please. Okay. So it says, I cannot eat dates without wondering. I feel warm at Muslim funerals. It must be the black cloaks of the women mourners enveloping to embrace on the thin grey blankets spread around the coffin, febrile cheers disintegrating fisted wads of pink and white tissue. My very first funeral was cold, though. I look back to the camphor and calico, my father anointed, wrapped like an offering, the final kiss on stiff lips, the crystals of evergreen frost on his eyebrows, my mother too young, far away in another room, her world tossed into a corner. Always in the aftermath of sorrow, guests are fed, blankets are folded, furniture rearranged, prayer books piled up, and those date stones saved to tally our missives to the dead and to God, return to their plastic buckets. Very deep, um, and, and to be honest, it kind of left a tear in my eye. What, what is like your f- best poem? What, do you have such a thing well, as favorite poem? Uh, what are my favorite? Well, I think I, I kind of like that one. Mm. That was one of, uh, like, you know, so when I look Pretty back close. at my work, there, there are yeah. a few that stand out for me. Um, the poems that I think I like are the ones that I think come from a place of truth for mm. me. So so that one is like one of many poems that I've actually written about my father. Because my father passed on when I was very young. I was about five years old. So when you're that young, it's a bit hard to process, you know, and for a lot of, like, as a kid, it's like weird. Mm. Um, to like figure out why and and I felt like it defined me as a child like I was a child without the father you know it's weird but like I mean I grew up in a loving family I grew up with my grandparents so I was never lacking for like support or father figures or that kind of thing but it was always that sense you know like just the other day I was thinking like my, my dad was actually an avid photographer and I actually have some of his old cameras like Ooh, film yeah. cameras um, and, I, and I was wondering like what would he think like oh his daughter's a photographer and I like would have thought you cool. know like from where to where so so um, because that, that theme of loss at a young age, bereavement, I think I write a lot about death, okay. but I write about it because I'm trying to process, you know, get it out. And then um, there was actually a poem I wrote last year and it was something like how I'd written enough about camphor and fatwas and what um, fatihas, you know, when, mm. when someone passes mm. away. Like, it's done now. Whatever I've written, I've passed on to others. Like, in, in the poetry, it's like, it's gone now. Because I've written it, and okay. now you read it, and now you feel it. But, like, mm. it's still with me, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's like cathartic. I mean, that's, mm. that's why people find um, it's, the, it's therapeutic to write, because, you, you know, you go through those themes. So, I've, I've written a lot about that. I think I've written about family a lot. Like, I've written about my, like, alhamdulillah, both my grannies are still alive. But, like, I've written about, like, interactions with them, like, and people seem to like the granny poems. I don't know why, because it makes them think of their own grannies. Mm. So, like, I wrote about how when my grandmother broke her hip, you know, things about the government hospital. And I think it's experiences that are familiar to people. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we also, we felt like that. And, yeah, it's not fair what, like, how they are in the hospital. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, that kind there's of another, thing. There's another poem, actually, in this chick. But there was a poem also about God. I think it was titled God. Um, was it the one about like looking for like let me just find it you know I never know my poems of Baha <laughs> some of them I try and learn of Baha there's but. one called Waiting Waiting which one was this oh this one was actually about um, it, 
oh, okay, the reason why I wrote this poem was we'd actually visited a relative and it wasn't even a relative that was close to me. Um, it was just like, uh, she, she was kind of like in her final, final days now and we were just there and she was just like lying on the bed and her family was around us. So the poem is like this. In this room, the oxygen concentrator is the only thing breathing with confidence. The one certain chest to cave and peak, lungs louder than prayers conditioning the air. The woman on the bed barely moves. The eldest child must be bravest now and remove the machine's pinching fingers, read the down across her fulcrum, search for damp proof of being. The other children cup their hands over hers as if they were holding in a baby bird. And for me, like when we were there with her, I didn't even know this auntie very well. It's actually one of Naeem's aunties, aunties or something. Like... It was such a touching moment because, I mean, everyone was around her. The kids were reading Yasin, like there were Hufas among the grandchildren. And like, it felt like such, because her being there made me think of my own life, my own mortality. Uh, was I doing enough? Or like, you know, like I don't believe as, as deeply as she's obviously believed and what's lacking in me that I don't have that level of faith, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it was just that scene that was so like, poignant that I thought no I have to write this and that's actually like maybe the third or fourth draft of that poem it was a much longer poem and then it just wasn't working and then I thought like it was just that image of like that 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 moment between life and death and and your loved ones wanting you to hold you back but knowing that it's your time and now you must go so So you do happy poems (laughs) I do some happy poems I do some funny poems (laughs) but it seems like a lot of the ones that seem to resonate with people are the the other sad ones no I'm sure I do happy there's a happy one I wrote about about my late grandfather which is kind of happy yeah on Facebook I saw you did this stop motion video for oh yes yes and that was quite popular how did he do that so what had happened was um earlier in the year uh, a group of like uh, a, a, a myself and a group of friends we'd we'd been invited by rocker mamas to go in um how was it i think it was my through my friend nafisa i can't really remember but anyway we'd, we'd all had like, like we have these monthly lunch clubs you know because like we're all ladies of leisure we freelance so we have time to do this kind of thing some of us some of us have full-time jobs but you know they make time for this so we'll all get together and we have a great lunch somewhere and, and obviously you know when when you all get together and you're going to take pictures of all the things you've eaten and post it onto all your social mm. media channels so we did that at rocker mamas um we were actually invited by i think the manager at the melrose arch branch because they're halal uh, he, I think he invited my friend Nafisa and told her like we can all come and they'll give us food and we must just like Instagram it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I did that and I tagged uh, the general Rocker Mamas account in it and they quite liked the pictures that I that I posted onto Instagram. So they approached me and they asked, wouldn't I want to do like some kind of fun content for them? Because that's kind of like the vision they have for the brand. It's like people enjoying the food and it's like... Um, like the customers creating the content kind of thing. I was more than happy because I love, like, I think the burgers are amazing. So um, Naeem and I actually went to the one in Melrose and we kind of, and it was for World Scrabble Day. So that's why we had like that Scrabble mm-hmm. theme. So we thought about a Scrabble board with like the burgers and stuff around the board. And then the words would be like related to Rocker Mamas. So it would be like burgers, ribs, wings, smash. So we planned out the little um, Scrabble crossword thing. And then uh, we shot it like, frame by frame so they were all stills that okay. were that were shot so it was kind of like it was quite funny because we'd set up the scene and then the cameras on the tripod and then like we're like okay we have to start so then we put the w down i take a picture then the would put the i but he has to make sure that the i doesn't touch 
like doesn't move the W because we want it all mm. to look quite static. So uh, how long did it take? Not that long, maybe okay. about an hour or so. Because we kind of had the idea. the The main thing was getting the um, just the general setup of the shot right, and and then we we kind of and then I took it into Photoshop and just exported it as a MP4. So was the food cold? Uh, yeah, it was actually. <laughs> it took us a while. Okay. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun to do. I just have a couple of questions. I want mm-hmm. to respect your time. If you, if you think about the youth of today, and yeah. you mentioned youth a couple of times, what are you most excited about? Well, I'm excited that they have like access to stuff that we never did. Like, I mean, they've got the internet for one. And, and the internet as it is now with all its perils, obviously, but um, the amount of knowledge that's available now than what we had available to, I mean, you can't, I mean, we had to go to a library and photocopy things for assignments, you know, they have so much available. I mean, they've got YouTube, Um, the, the opportunities to create. I mean, there are people making livings from like YouTube channels, Um, obviously not junky content, but like proper quality stuff, but it can happen. Um, and what I'm seeing is a lot of them seem a lot, okay, they are, I mean, okay, you know, every old person, ah, oh, the youth the of youth today, day. you know, yeah. but they're not all like that. Like I've seen like young poets doing amazing things. They're so much more, um, like clued up on what's happening. I mean, when I think of the, the fees must fall kids, right? When we were at university, we were so daft. Mm. We were like all in our own bubbles. Yeah. We had no idea. We, we had our little, we had our friends and, you know, we, we just did our thing. We hung out, blah, not, we, we had no idea that there were kids with issues, that there were kids who, who didn't have money to buy lunch. We had no idea, really. And I mean, uh, I can't even think if I, if, if, if Fees Must Fall happened when we had university, would I have even been part of it? Yeah. Would I have been that much, like that righteous or, because yeah. we were so, honestly, I was very dumb. I was like mm. stupid at university. I had no idea. And kids these days are what well, I mean they woke. They really are. Still. We were all sleeping. And 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 that for me is quite positive. I mean, it's exciting that they are aware of issues, you know, of of large yeah, of the important stuff. They're aware mm. and they're doing things. And yeah. for me that's very exciting. One last question. So today's your last day. Mm. You're gonna you're gonna die. <laughs> and you only have enough energy to say a few words. What would it be to your loved ones? Don't waste time. That's it. I'll, don't waste time. <laughs> then I'll croak. <laughs> because, yeah, don't okay. waste time. That's Salia, okay. I just want to thank you um, for inviting me, you and Naeem. Oh, no, it's and, a pleasure. And uh, the one and a half hours in traffic was, was so worth it. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> and yeah, just nice meeting you. Likewise, likewise. alaikum. So that's it for today's show. We hope we added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum. Enough and try through a time of deep despair. Oh, Muhammad.
This is what we can as a fair and honest man. You should just how much you get. And one night in that cave, when the rock in your cave, and your life in this world will never be the same. Rasulullah, Abibullah, your light is always showing me the way. Rasulullah, Abibullah, I'm longing for the day I will see your face. So you became the chosen one to proclaim the word of God. Oh Muhammad, in the brightness of the sun or the stillness of the night, you will never ever stop being kind, giving love, and serenity and love to a divided world that didn't have enough. Rasulullah, Abibullah. Your light is always showing me the way. Rasulullah, Abibullah, I'm longing for the day I will see your face. Rasulullah, Abibullah, peace be upon ya. Rasulullah, Abibullah, I really love ya. Rasulullah, Abibullah, peace be upon ya. Rasulullah, Abibullah, your light is always showing me the way. Rasulullah, Rasulullah, Abibullah. I'm longing for the day I will see your face. Oh, 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 you brighten up my day. Oh, 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 and in my heart you stay. Can I have your attention? Attention. Kill a shagun. Feel me. We go talk. I'm later. 